Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are we doing today? I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Hope everyone is having a great day. In today's podcast, we're going to try something different. So okay. if you're watching us on YouTube, I have a bunch of note cards. I made this deck right here that I always carry with me in my backpack probably about three years ago. And it's a bunch of mental models. Okay. And then on the back, I have a quick summary of it. Some are literally one sentence. Some is multiple. And then I think on every single card, for the most part, I tried relating it back to investing. Okay. So I have no idea where we're going to go with this, but we're going to pick a card. We're going to read it. And then we're just going to talk about it. All right. All right. So pick a card, any card. My, this is your magic trick. Uh, pick a card, my, any card. My specialty is not. Uh, pick a card, any card. Um, What's that say? Can you read my caveman handwriting? Gresham's Law. Gresham's Law. Right. Economics. That comes from economics. So, this principle, I have hyphen. Bad money drives out good. Yes. How do you relate that to investing? Bad lending drives out good lending. <laughs> okay. So for Yeah, like I guess bank, you could do that. Yeah, like yeah. That. Go back to like 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Related to your life and business, bad debt tanking drives out good debt taking. Okay. I see what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could also apply this to knowledge. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. And I have in quotes, we're all drowning in info, but starving for wisdom. Yeah, I guess the idea with the model of how you could apply to things is that if you have high quality and low quality things, but you can't tell the difference between them, so they're lumped together that way, mm-hmm. then that's where you're to have the bad one bad thing driving out another i mean the actual thing in economics is basically from that idea if like for instance if we took silver and gold on the same basis mm-hmm. silver's cheaper so we'd be on a silver standard really not a gold you know yeah. everyone used silver um so yeah i i could see that yeah if you can't differentiate between the two things like in lending and stuff the good loans and the bad loans yeah mm-hmm. um and then what else do i have here i said in a bull market people don't focus on solid fundamentals they focus on the prices. So as that starts to happen, you start to really anchor all of this in your brain, right? Yeah, the short-term best can drive out the long-term. Mm-hmm. And then I have for like morals. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I guess you, you start to uh, hop over that line a couple times and then next thing you know it, you're in prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that was interesting. All right, pick another card. All right. There you go. Well, float. Float. Beautiful. Okay. Comes from business. We talk about float a lot. Um, uh, make money on their money. Mm-hmm. Basically, for your charge, you can think about like uh, deposits at banks. Yeah. You can think about insurance. You prepay premiums. They don't have to actually pay that out to you today. YouTube advertising revenue. YouTube advertising <laughs> revenue. Um, the simplest one is really think about like down deposits if you're renting an apartment or a house. Sure. All stuff like that. Gift yeah. cards. Shows up 
on the income statement as deferred revenue a lot of times. Yeah, and so, well, the gift cards are obviously just like blue chip stamps. Yeah. And it's the same idea. I mean, blue chip stamps was longer. But yeah, and then some of those gift cards are never redeemed. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's an advantage for them to have that. All right, I'll pull up one. All right, framing effect. What do I have for framing effect? This comes from psychology. All right, I might not How a message is communicated affects how it is received. Okay. Interesting. Framing is a cognitive bias that says people repeat, I'm sorry, that people react differently to a choice depending on whether and when it is presented as a loss or a gain. Yeah, okay. And I, the example I have down here, 99% fat free. It has 1% fat. So yes. you wouldn't say on a label, hey, this is 1% fat. You say, this is 99% fat free, baby. Right, that's true. So how the message is communicated is how is it received. Interesting, huh? Yeah, my favorite one with that is, uh, which I give all the time, is, you know, uh, that on average, people who switch to this insurer save $400. Yeah. Yeah, people who switch from Geico to Progressive save money. People who switch from Progressive to Geico save money. People don't usually switch car insurance to pay more money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting, right? Tragedy of Commons. This comes from Social Sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. This is from Aristotle. What is common to many is taken least care of yes. for all men have greater regard for what is their own than for what they possess in common with others. Yeah. you. This is going to be a controversial topic, but why is that? No, it's a, I mean, so and it, I, this example, this is an argument for dog poop benefits everybody. <laughs> right. So this is an argument for private property and it's c- correct in that sense. If in societies, for instance, in ancient societies, uh, you know, TV shows and things, they show them and there's all these trees and stuff around the, uh, cities. That never happened. Yeah. Obviously, all the people would go and cut down the trees if no one owned the trees and would burn them for fuel and stuff and use them to produce carbon and things to do blacksmithing and stuff. So if it was free, same thing with fishing. They'd overfish. Uh-huh. Same thing with grazing. If you could graze on, on public land, then you would overgraze the land. Mm-hmm. But if you fence off the land and it's private land, then you won't. The first trees that were not cut down and were you know grown to be... Um, you know, perpetual forests and stuff are because people own the land privately and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, same idea. Interesting. Obviously if, if you get the benefit, but you don't, but you then equally share the loss, yeah. then yeah, you'll share it that way. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. I have benefits to the individual, but hurts the collective social and private incentives differ. Yeah. And then you want to do it. And then like when that's happening, if you're overgrazing the land or something, you just want to graze faster and faster because no one else is going to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you could all agree together to stop, but yeah, yeah, that's a very famous one. Um, uh, the power law comes from statistics. Okay, eighty twenty on the back. I have eighty twenty oh, okay. rule. Eighty percent of revenue is brought in by twenty percent of activities. Also, have a winner take all. Uh, how it relates to compounding? Eighty percent of Buffett's wealth came after his fiftieth birthday. Okay. What did I write here? Catch a ride on positive black swan smiley face. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but the 80 20 thing is true. Yeah. So, like 80% of your, uh, 20% of your customers are often going to be 80% of your, um, uh, of your revenue and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. This is an interesting one. I like twaddle tendency. Okay. Munger's talked about this, comes from psychology. And the quote I actually have on the front of the card, if you can see that, which you can't, says, I never allow myself to hold an opinion on something that I don't know the other side's argument better than they do. Yeah, we shouldn't do this podcast then. Comes from, (laughs) yeah, right? Um, And the notes I have on the back, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have a quote, wise men speak because they have something to say, fools because they have to say something. Um, Twaddle is speech or writing that is silly, trivial, not true, nonsense. 
And then I have get rid of people who always answer questions with which they don't have any knowledge about. Okay. There you go. Yeah, this is the one like like Munger and stuff. They'll ask, what do you think about the uh, macro economy? What's going to happen? And then he'll say, well, I don't know anything about that. I'm not an expert on that, whatever. And they're like, well, just give us, tell us anyway. Uh-huh. That's what everyone does. They say, I'm not an expert on stuff. And then let me give my guess yeah, on right. what's going to happen with After the economy. That. Yeah. I like this one. The bystander effect comes from psychology. Mm-hmm. And I have quotes on the back. Madness is rare in individuals, but in groups, parties, and, and a bunch of group of people, it is the rule. Um, let's see. Bystanders fail to help because they are unsure. There's a quote, and I remember actually when I first read about this principle, it was talking about when you drive on the highway, mm-hmm. you see somebody that's pulled over on the side. Right. We all do it. We drive by, we look and say, wow, that person looks like they can need some help, but I'm going to continue on driving. I had an experience with this. Interesting. As a t- teenager, I had a bad bike accident. Uh, not not motorcycle, a bike, an actual bike. And, but it was a bad accident and, um, people would drive by very slowly, each individually. And I would tell them, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, go on now I'm bleeding and shaking and stuff, but you said it was bad, right? Oh, it was really bad. But, um, but, and they looked at me like they don't believe that I could possibly be fine, but they did drive on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But then once one person came out yep someone came out with a chair and stuff to try to help prop me up and stuff then everyone stopped and wanted and they refused to not stop and of then course. huge people gathered around and stuff so once they saw anyone else helping they all helped but when it was like well no one's helped them yet i guess i can go on which is the opposite of what it should be yeah and the quote i have here because i only need one person to help me i didn't need eight certainly. people to help <laughs> the quote i have is i'm not going to help because somebody else will and then right, I have another yeah. quote that says, independent thinking is the one skill that will separate you from the crowd. So the first person yeah. that stopped to have help Jeffrey Gannon mm-hmm. and then everybody else followed along. Yep. Isn't that wild? Well, I'm just very convincing that I can be injured and bleeding and say, no, 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 I'm fine. This is what I meant to do. Yeah. And you never got back on a bicycle since. No, never. Let's see. Um, I have critical mass comes from engineering. Mm-hmm. nuclear physics when something becomes self-sustaining we use this example a lot talk about like network effects scale stuff like that i uh, have yeah, foundation gets built for rapid growth um and i said a business after a certain size could reach economies of scale yeah so the idea would be like if you have one thing that you can split into two halves and then those two halves can each be split into two halves and so on like that without needing anything uh else to happen there so you know we talk about like roll-ups and things like that once you one one restaurant or something can fund doing the next one mm-hmm. then you have it but the, the very very beginning is always very hard the difficulties those first few years right because the first restaurant's not going to fund opening a second one for a really long time sure. you know but then once you've got a handful of them that starts working next one i have thermodynamics don't know anything about this one so this will be physics fascinating. first law of energy energy okay. isn't created nor destroyed it's just transferred mm-hmm. and i have complex systems have feedback loops energy okay. is not destroyed it's only transferred that's kind of like how your life is, right? You Maybe I, I did write a thing, post. Put it somewhere else. I did write a post once on the asset earnings equivalence and compared it to mass energy equivalence, making the argument that you would have to, um, that you should always be able to think in either terms. Mm-hmm. So you, if you have an asset and you really think it's worth, if someone praises an asset at fifty million dollars, then you should say, okay, well, is it making two point five million in earnings? You know. Mm-hmm. And if something's worth two, making 2.5 million in earnings, okay, well, is it 
worth 50 million then you know move back and forth between the two ideas instead of seeing them a lot of times value investors talk about something they're like well it's worth you know a thousand dollars an acre okay but does it produce any income at all if it doesn't produce any income then how are we deciding are we just trading amongst ourselves and deciding that you know what i mean like this is what it's worth yeah Mm -hmm. next one i have redundancy and it comes from engineering okay process of adding extra instances of critical components to a system so that one can take over if something breaks. Mm-hmm. So how do you relate to this, uh, to investing? Uh, redundancy equals insurance of some, of some sort. Margin of safety. It assumes that the worst case will happen from time to time, and it helps to minimize the harm. Buffett has talked a lot about um, uh, uh, when trucks drive over a, a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. That's meant to hold, I don't know, a thousand pounds or a hundred thousand pounds mm-hmm. and the the capacity or the weight of the cars are only equal to or twenty thousand right yeah just so the margin of safety principle and i have two eyes two lungs two kidneys two brains okay uh the, <laughs> if you lose one eye you got another one yeah the one that stands out to me is like uh, we, t- we talked about g before but um when you do um commercial paper stuff so generally you want if you have a commercial paper program You'd want to have cash on hand. That's pretty similar to the amount of commercial paper you have out. And you'd want to have a credit line backing up. So people ask, like, do I hate commercial paper or something? No. If you have 100 million commercial paper out and you tend to have about 100 million cash out and a credit line for 100 million, I think that's great. That's very safe. But the problem that they were having is they didn't have a credit line to back up even remotely all that they had and they never kept on hand enough cash and stuff. So they literally needed every night to be rolled over, mm-hmm. you know. So that's a redundancy thing that way, yeah. Parimutuel system, economics, something yeah. we talk about a lot. This is, we talk about with Munger a lot, right? Certainly. Um, you don't win by predicting the future. You win by getting the odds right. I have, think about handicapping. Think, uh, and I have another thing, odds times payoff. Look for mispriced bets. Mm-hmm. Second level thinking. Investing is betting against the parimutuel system. Um, you're basically looking for a mispriced bet. Mm-hmm. You have to know enough to know that it's mispriced. So it's fascinating listening to Monish Pabrai talk in mm-hmm. his Boston College lecture. He was talking about what he typically does is think about what the company could look like in 10 and 15 years and what does it have to do to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And all, all those factors, what's the probability of that actually happening? And you just conceptually think about this. Are they all skewed to a more favorable outcome, basically? So okay. it's like a group. Is it skewed to a favorable outcome? But a mispriced bet today, think about Munger talks a lot about that parimutuel system. Yeah. Mispriced bets. Right. The idea being you're not betting against the house. It's like betting in horse racing and things like that. Viewer, so people don't want to confuse that with like gambling games that are set odds with an edge to the house and stuff. It's just a question of what your edge is versus the group of people you're betting against because the group sets the odds. Mm-hmm. I like this one a lot. Canty and fairness tendency. I think he talked about this in the psychology of human misjudgment was okay. that one of his popular speeches but it comes from psychology and the notes i have some systems should be unfair to some people so that they're fair to others so basically if it's unfair for you but it's better for the rest of the world then that's just the way that it is and one yeah. thing he talks about mm-hmm. was um the navy ship captain if a sure. ship goes aground in the navy no matter what even if it wasn't the captain's fault he's automatically terminated kicked out right what this does is it creates an incentive system to look for excellence i guess you could say so ship never goes aground 
Yeah, I said if someone was still running, you asked like if someone was still running a bank that ran into problems, so you'd look into what those problems were in the financial crisis and stuff. And I said no, I would look for someone who's running a bank now who what didn't run a bank into the mm. ground in the financial crisis. And pe- some people would say that's unfair. They don't get a second chance. Maybe it wasn't their fault or whatever, but it's easier just to pick someone who didn't run a ship aground. Sure. I have health insurance on here. We all pay premiums. So, you know. Yeah, that's not controversial. Else. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> People think if they study a stock as much, they won't lose money. And that's just not the case. All right. Network effects. Okay. Comes from economics business. Uh, the utility of, of a product is directly proportional to its number of users, popularity, what do I have here? What's not, okay, I just basically okay. said as users go up, the value goes up. I, I'm Use not example, sure. Double side marketplaces, eBay. I can't read yeah. my own handwriting, but I know it never so fast. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think it would go up to a point and then it wouldn't matter. The, uh, a certain level. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before when I mentioned like Uber or something. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you have Uber or Lyft or something and that someone can get to you in three minutes is highly significant, but that if one can get to you in 30 seconds and one in one minute, it can't matter that much anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, same thing on Facebook and stuff. If 90% of the world's on Facebook, I don't know that it could possibly matter if the last 10% get on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Switching costs. Yeah. Um, one time inconvenience or cost of leaving can be tough for people, you know, internet banks, credit cards. We've talked a lot about high switching costs mm-hmm. uh, makes this business sticky operating systems so you think about you know if you use excel docusign stuff like that you're probably more inclined to use that if somebody like your bosses are sending you excel files or like stuff to use docusign to learn those things yeah um which docusign knows and they made a business around right because you yeah create an account and stuff like that um let's see i have our brain we can't multitask Oh, because of switching costs. There's yeah. very high switching costs in that. Yeah, you don't want to know how high, uh, how bad performance drops off when you switch from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very poor. Variable reinforcement comes from psychology. A person will be motivated to repeat a response if he or she gets a reward from it. And I put avoid dopamine situations or be aware of that. Okay. That's true. That's a bad, could be a bad re- variable reinforcement. Yeah, we talked about like Robinhood like, and stuff, right? The Robinhood sure. really pushes that kind of making it more into a game, similar to the way we talk about online games and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Status quo bias okay. comes from psychology. It's a cognitive bias. Um, I said an object, af- I actually added from physics, I said yeah. an object either remains at rest or continues to move at a constant velocity okay, so we're unless acted upon by external forces yeah. newton's law of motion okay and then i have inertia on here mm-hmm. um which let's we see. talk about it all the time well, about you talk a lot about inertia. That all the time i also have a note here don't let the status quo kill your dreams okay. procrastination is a natural defense deciding to do nothing is a decision that's true we talk a lot yeah. about inertia though with companies yes there's a lot of inertia yeah I mean, you could think about so you see some companies where Let's say they have, I don't know, 5% of their net worth in the actual stock itself, but their mm-hmm. salary is massive compared right. to the stock. You know, it's like, what are they ever going to sell the business? Eh, probably not. What are they going to do to monetize that? It's not as meaningful to them as it is just to have their salary every single year. Yeah, Buffett talks about the institutional imperative and all that stuff. But I think, yeah, it goes way beyond incentives. I think people are very aware of incentives and like if they don't have skin in the game or they do, but you'd be surprised even people with a lot of skin in the game their natural inclination is going to be to do the same thing as they've been doing, especially if they're 
somewhat successful. Like they'll change it once it becomes difficult. We were talking about this recently off air, but it's like, you know, when COVID happens and stuff, then some companies are yeah. have cost cutting plans and stuff. But then why were the costs in place in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's very common that you just gradually grow your costs, you gradually grow your headcount stuff without thinking a lot about what you're doing. And then it's only at those moments of difficulty in your industry or recession or whatever that you actually look to cut back. So you were just defaulting to the status quo until that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, losers game, which comes from decision making. Okay. Let's see. People often beat themselves through unforced errors. Try to consistently not be stupid instead of trying to be smart. And I also have avoid the downside and the upside will take care of itself. Yeah. Joel Greenblatt's talked a lot about his biggest positions aren't the ones where he thinks he's going to make the most amount of money. They were always the situations where he felt like he wasn't going to lose any money. Yeah, I feel like we should just do the, the whole podcast, not the whole episode, but the whole series just on losers game. Because uh, if people like advice for people investing and stuff, my honest advice is to look at what like you do badly and take that out rather than trying to perfect how well you can do um, versus the marketing to get an edge and stuff. Investing is not that difficult if you don't do certain things. Like most people I talk to, one of the problems is that they put some of their money into what I call just like looking for action. There's mm-hmm. some idea of like, well, I want to do a busy. little speculative or whatever. I just need a piece of yeah. it. Yeah. And so whether that's 5% or 20% or half of it or whatever, they get involved in those things. If they took that out, they wouldn't be involved in it at all. If they took out buying anything that they had remotely a bad feeling about, they wouldn't have that. If they held some things longer, if they never bought something over a certain price, if they, you know, whatever, there could just be some basic things to avoid the errors that they make. Mm-hmm. And then at worst, they're going to get an index type return. And at best, they're going to get a bit better than that. You know, um, most people could improve the most by just avoiding errors that they're making rather than trying to like take advantage of the market. Just like don't be taking advantage of as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Moral hazard comes from social science, a situation where one person makes the decision about how much risk to have while someone else bears the cost if things go badly. Yeah. So I have insurance. I have government bailing out banks sends a bad, risky message to other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, basically that, you know, we could take this risk because worst case is the bank will bail us out. I have commissionable products, salesmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I had quarterly earnings. I said you can avoid by having more skin in the game from the outcome. So we're really back to incentives and stuff like that. Yeah, where their incentives are aligned with um, the risks that they're taking. We, I think, hear about moral hazard a lot with governmental issues. I feel like I always, that's yeah, the most another, situations where I it's hear another about, controversial yeah, one like that. Yeah. That, that um, term come up. I mean, I, th- I think that it's somewhat overstated in that way because you'd be surprised. I think most failures are done, uh, of the things we're talking about failures of banks and things are from stupidity, not from, um, selfishness. Hmm. I really don't think that some may be, but I mean, People at Lehman Brothers and stuff had plenty of uh, stock and things like that. They didn't. That wasn't a good thing, and they knew that it would be harmful to their reputation and stuff. They actually believed some of the, the things, um, and they were successful at it for a while. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, moral hazard is a big part of that. I think that like people tend more to take risks if risky behavior is not punished for a period of many years. Sure. So if they repeat. I think most people take very little risk the first time they do think, something they think is risky, but the hundredth time they do it, it they forget. You know, no the, one becomes the a criminal overnight, basically. Yeah. I think a criminal is really just a bunch of small 
bad situations, you know, compounded over time. Yeah. Yeah. And then so, you just kind of lose reality of, holy cow, this is, this is not okay. Yeah. So I think when the risk doesn't seem novel anymore, like you were saying there, like at that point when you're doing your 200th drug deal, you're no longer like, oh, this is risky. Yeah. You're just mm-hmm. like, this is business. This is, yeah. <laughs> but it was, this it's is calculated, but it's risk. actually as risky as the first time you did it. Certainly. But you know, it's just like your experience has taught you that it's not risky, but conditioned to yeah. it. Yeah. Sure. Feedback loops come from physics. When outputs of a system, are routed back as inputs as part of a chain of cause and effect that forms a circuit or a loop. The system feeds back into itself, positive or negative. Well, people only like to talk about the positive part with this. Okay. Negative as well. All right. I mean, to your drug example there, negative. <laughs> uh, and the example I had here was compounding. Every small incremental change goes back into the system. I talked about, I wrote about Berkshire Cash. Warren buys businesses. That business produces cash. Mm-hmm. And then the feedback, you know, allows them to buy more businesses and stuff like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Feedback loops. Pavlonian conditioning. Okay. Psychology. Pavlov. This is notifications on your phone. Oh, uh, yeah. It makes a sound, doesn't it? It sh- sure it does. does. Yeah. Yvonne Pavlov that made the... He ran a study. I summarized it. But he ran a study basically to see if he can make his dog salivate for food every time he rang a bell basically. Yeah. And then, so he would feed the dog, he'd ring a bell. And then over time, the dog became conditioned to whenever he would ring the bell, but had no food, the dog would produce the same sort of outcome for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, let's see for psychology, I have associate high prices with value for, I guess, stocks. Right. Let's see what else I have here. Um, don't know what that means. I talked about Coca-Cola and happiness. Sure. And indexes don't reflect the whole world of stocks. But I think the most important thing in our culture is notifications. Watch the documentary <laughs> Social Dilemma. Okay. It will make you want to find I won't watch it, but they can watch it. Yes. Watch that on Netflix. Social Dilemma. Um, uh, should, next one. Should they watch on their Netflix app on their phone? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Not on Quibi. Not on the phone. No more Quibi. No. No, that's going away, right? Yeah, that is. Mm. Contrast misreaction tendency, okay. psychology, the boiling frog syndrome. Many businesses die just like the boiling frog did. Mm. A boiling frog will not jump out of a pot, supposedly, if when you put it on right. the stove with cold water, you put him in there. Over time, he, the f- poor frog doesn't know the difference. I don't know who ran this experiment. I be- Definitely before I be- PETA. I, I believe the frog... The- People say that the frog would actually jump out. So they ran the experiment themselves. See, I is don't. Is this like an that, old like folk tale? That's the thing? problem. Like I don't know if they did, but it is thinking about it from your own perspective. It is true. Uh, it would be much easier for you to get into a bath that you slowly warmed up yeah. than to uh, have the hottest bath you can imagine, then try to get into it uh, without any preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did say when businesses die, just like the boiling frog, cognition misled by changes in. Um, low contrast will often miss a trend that is destiny. I say I can't even read my own handwriting, but there we go. And then I also said when steps are taken toward disaster with each step being very small, yeah. the brain just loses perception of that. Misreaction tendency will often let a man go, let a man or woman go too far towards disaster. Sometimes you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay. <laughs> Deprival super reaction tendency, psychology. Yeah. Let's see. Calibrated near misses at slot machines. 
Yeah, this is a this is an obsession of people, right? Certainly. Whereas they um, they feel like they didn't get something, uh-huh. or they lost something, whatever you want to call it. But the, oh, but it was so close. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know logically might not make that much sense. The and I have the pleasure from a ten dollar gain is significantly lower than the quality of displeasure of a ten dollar loss. Yes, I don't believe I experienced this. And I have, if a man or woman... <laughs> but I've heard other people say this, so... ...gets something he greatly wants and has it jerked away from him at the last minute, yeah. he will react as if he had long owned it mm-hmm. and it had jerked away. I said people hold on to losing socks too long and the yes. way to get out of this is stop, rethink it. We've talked a lot about value investing stocks mm-hmm. or just investing in general. It's sort of backing away from the situation and the fact that you own it. And would you still be interested in the stock yeah. today at today's it, price? Yeah, I talk about this all the time it. where like, I mean, it's just very important, but it doesn't matter what price. It literally does not matter what price, except for tax reasons, what price you bought a stock at the moment after you bought it. Uh-huh. Because you're not going to be given that exact price as an option of when to, of what to sell it at. So you buy a stock at $60, it goes down to $50, okay? And you find this amazing other stock somewhere. There are people who don't want to sell that stock at $50 that you bought at 60. But if you really find something that you know is so much better, you don't get the choice of selling at 60. You have the choice at 50. You know, I mean, you could have just as easily gone up to 70, but the price you paid isn't relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. And there are people, I think, for that want to sell like to make a profit instead of you want to sell to switch into something better. Whether you're making a huge profit, you could be making 10 times your money or you could be losing 20% of your money. And in like a panic or something, it actually is not a bad idea. I've sold stocks before in like um, the financial crisis, for instance, where I sold a stock, bought it. It went down probably 15% or something in a short period of time. But I sold it to buy a lot more of another stock that was even better because it had been going down, you know, 60% or whatever. It was one of the best things that I did, one of the smartest sales that I made. Uh Now, of course, I was selling stock for less than it was worth. And I was selling it to book a loss and a short-term loss too. Mm-hmm. But it was to raise money to buy something that was so much better. Like you should sell something that you think is going to return 10% a year if you just found something that's going to return 25. Mm-hmm. And you should be happy to do it. Take that loss, you know, in that situation. Absolutely. Because you should be very happy that you're switching into something better. It's the switching into it now that's what matters. It does not matter what the price was. You know, you weren't really deprived of anything by that way. It feels like you were. But. Mm-hmm. Monish talked about this a little bit when he was asked about selling stock, mm-hmm. he said the problem, he said it's all opportunity cost for him. He's like, but the problem is, is that the mistress always looks hotter than the wife. Yes. He's like, but you have yeah. to actually make sure that the mistress is hotter than the wife. Yeah, well, I talked to you about that with Templeton, where Templeton had a rule, John Templeton had a rule that it should be 50% more attractive. It should be 50% cheaper or whatever. Um, the upside should be 50% higher to switch from one stock into another. So if he had two stocks, when's the right time to sell? If he thinks they're both equally good stocks, but this one's at, um, th- this one is a $10 stock that he thinks is going to go to 15 or whatever he appraises at, then the other one has to be one uh, that would be 10 going towards, uh, what would be that, 22 or something like that. You know, So it would have to be that much more attractive. Mm-hmm. And that would f- fix that problem. I, I agree with that. When I tell people, um, I think it is all the opportunity costs and stuff, but I think most people really underestimate how little they understand the new stock that they found compared to they know all the good and bad qualities of the stock that they've owned for a while. Mm-hmm. So exactly what you're saying. 
He also was talking about Charlie Munger and how Charlie doesn't ever buy stocks above intrinsic value, but he very rarely sells stocks above intrinsic value. Which is fascinating, yeah. Yeah, you just hold them forever. Now, I'm in the camp of like, you switch when the opportunity cost is that big to fund it. Of course, if you have money coming in stuff, you may not always need that. We've talked about the coffee can approach. I think the coffee can approach makes sense. And then when you find an amazing opportunity, though, you've got to sell something to buy that. You know, you don't pass on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a little hack that I use, guys, yeah. by the way, if you want to try to get in contact with someone or learn about somebody, you may not be able to do that. But I always say, go up the supply chain. So, for example, Munger meets with Monish often, it sounds like. Okay. They both live in California. And he's, mm-hmm. I think they have dinner or whatever. He's maybe closer to his inner circle. So I would not probably be allowed to do that with Munger, but I'm so right. fascinated I want to learn about him. So listen to people that are very close to him and are willing to share certain things. Go up the supply chain. Next thing I have, checklists, which comes mm-hmm. from decision-making. The pilot's checklist. Pilots fly. We've read the checklist from Investor, right? Certainly have. Okay. I think we did a podcast on it. All right. Pilots fly thousands of times in their careers, yet they still use a checklist every single time. And why is that? That's because the brain has blind spots. And I have a thing that says uh, when we find a new investment, it triggers greed. Neuroscientists have found it turns our brain to the same effects of cocaine. Okay. Like dopamine, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if cocaine you have a, brain. Probably I talked about that, right? Cocaine or, brain. Yeah. So if you have a checklist that you go through, which he also talked about as well, he has like 100 things on there, it helps you stay rational because, again, the mind has blind spots. Um, uh, you know, so how it relates to the business? Does it have a moat, people, management, price? Where is it trading? But really put your 5D chess hat on and think through the situation through multiple different angles. Yeah, it just forces you to do things that you'd often feel silly doing otherwise. That's the big thing with like the pilot checklist and with like doctors, the, it's a doctor who wrote that book. So it was very hard to get doctors just to like wash their hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's so hard is like when you have a checklist and you make it a rule that they have to do, it, that's fine. But in general, having these things about like, oh, people are dying because you're not do- you're only 80% of the time doing some very basic hygiene things and stuff um, is hard to tell people. Like I was saying with the, you were saying the loser's game thing, it's much easier to tell people all the things that could make them better investors. It's much harder to explain to them like, okay, never buy something speculative, like never buy something where you have no idea if you have an edge or not. Mm. Don't put 5% of your portfolio in or 20 or whatever, but that would really improve things for people, you know, um, stuff like that. And so the checklist really helps with the very basic things. I think that makes sense and makes sense for us because a lot of times you'd look at something and say, oh, well, you understand on this level or whatever, but did you check all of these different things that might be more basic sort of things of what errors you could make? Loser's game. Number one rule of investing, never <laughs> short stocks. Okay. <laughs> Winner's curse. This comes from right. psychology. This is a, a favorite of mine. In a competitive auction, the highest bidder will typically overpay for an asset. Hence, the bidder, quote unquote, wins the auction, mm-hmm. but is, quote unquote, cursed by the overpayment. Yeah. And I said eBay, Groupon, Google, AdWords, IPOs. IPOs is, you know, perfect example of that. Yes. Why is that? It's because we want to outdo others, Jeff. This is a test of my will my ego okay and i have the quote it's not greed that drives the world but envy and then charlie yes. munger has said an open outcry auction creates a lollapalooza of bad decisions 
Yeah, I think that's true. It, it's one that's fascinating to me because what it's you like said is too. Yeah, what what you said is um, true, but weird because like, well, I'll make them pay me a higher price, and then you're like, no, I'll make them pay me an even higher yeah. price. <laughs> so it's very strange, but I guess you want the thing, so. That is what you said, like outdoing someone is the perception of it in open outcry. When in reality, you're taking a worse and worse price. You're, you know, letting someone dictate the price more and more to you that way. But, And that's why Buffett, for example, he has a reputation of he names one price and that's it. He doesn't negotiate. Yeah. One and done. And yeah. although he said you may lose deals in the long run, it's better to act like that, he thinks. Yeah, and definitely better not to participate in auctions for business. We could relate to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do something bias comes from psychology, and I have all of humanity's problems stem from man or women <laughs> uh, inability to sit quietly in a room alone and think. Yeah, that's a um, that's a very big one as to why people do the things they do in investing. Like I said, that idea of action and stuff they want to do something they even if they don't have an edge even if they have no reason on which to think that it's a good decision they just figure they should do something and actually that's very true especially when something's going wrong with a position like in a crisis or something they there's a real push to be that i notice with people where it's like like say with covid this year that just it could be to buy to rush to buy or it could be to rush to sell but they really have this strong feeling they have to do something mm-hmm. you know like i should sell stuff in my portfolio but if you don't know what's going on maybe you shouldn't sell it you know i should buy new stuff but if you don't know how it's affected by things i don't know if you should you know mm-hmm. there might be opportunities that are good that way but i think news makes people feel like they should do something mm-hmm all right, we still got a pretty good amount to this deck. All right. Reason Respecting Tendency by Psychology. And I have a quote from Charlie Munger. Why, why, why? If you always tell people why, mm-hmm. they'll understand it better, they'll consider it important, and become more likely to comply even if they don't understand your your reason. Yeah, this one this one's very sinister. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Nah, because the, the truth is that you can give reasons to people I don't, I mean, it could be anything from politicians to parents to whatever, any authority things that you can do. You can explain something with a reason that isn't really a reason that has anything to do with what was just asked. And to some extent, people who aren't analyzing carefully be like, okay, like, and then you look at it and it makes no sense what Mm -hmm. they just said, but giving any reason, you know, and I've, it's in the book, um, influence, right. That they give the example of the, the copier one. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they, you cut in line and copier by saying, I'm in a hurry. I need to make copies or whatever, or just saying I need to make copies. Um, instead of just saying, can I go in front of you? It's like a waiting in line for the plane that happened the other day or the other yeah. day, a couple last time I was at the airport, we're in security and some lady ran up looking distraught. She's like, can I please cut? Like, I need, uh-huh. can I please, I, I'm, I'm going to miss my flight. Everyone, of course, was like, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. Was she pulling one on us? I don't know. Gambler's fallacy. This comes from psychology. And it's a mistaken belief that as something happens more frequently than normal mm-hmm. during some period, it will happen less frequently in the future or vice versa. Remember, the odds are 50-50. That's what I had, but... That could yeah, mean a bunch of different that's very and stuff. that's very famous with uh yeah it's like basketball and so sports, hot and cold streaks cold. and things like that yeah. yeah but it is 
the one I like about that is in actual empirical studies of coin flipping, when you give people an unfair coin, like, so if you give people odds that this coin will come up 64, that this coin will pay out heads more than it'll pay out tails, right? Mm-hmm. Not everyone will bet heads. Some people will still bet tails and things. So at some point, some people will get so fed up and so convinced of the fact that there are patterns that they'll bet on things even when you've been told that the probability of one thing coming up is, you know, more than another. You tell them like, oh, the, this die is set so that it's more likely to come up six than two. At some point, they'll, someone will bet two. Interesting. It's funny. Mean reversion comes from stats. And I have in quotes, a good BS filter to separate noise from real knowledge. Okay. An event that is not average will be followed by an event that is average. And then I had yeah. the hot hand in basketball. The longer the deviation from mm-hmm. the norm, the larger the probability of it coming from luck rather than skill. And then I said, don't just go by the outcome. Go by the process that leads to the outcome. Mm-hmm. Complex adaptive systems comes from social sciences. Let's see. Sometimes when you modify a complex system in a small way, it can create meaningful, unintended consequences, sometimes negatively. You need second level thinking. Howard Marks has talked about that. Second level, I think the earnings will fall less than everyone thinks, and a pleasant surprise will lift the stock. It's a buy. Mm-hmm. First level thinking is simplistic and superficial. Second level thinking is deep, complex, and takes many things into account. Mm-hmm. Mental accounting comes from psychology. A gambler gains a thousand, loses it all, but only lost ten dollars since that's what he started with. He didn't lose a thousand bucks. Oh, you're saying that if he turns ten dollars into a thousand dollars and he loses it, he figures that yep. he's down ten dollars for the session or whatever. Yes. So that's all that happened. Mm. No, you lost a thousand dollars. Yeah. So like if you find twenty dollars on the street, then you can just buy whatever that is, a couple packs of cigarettes yeah. and you didn't spend anything. So I was in a casino once and I asked the bartender what's the highest he ever saw somebody cash out. Uh-huh. And he said somebody started with like a thousand at blackjack, mm-hmm. ended the night or the morning, early morning with a million. Okay. Came back the next day, lost it all. And then he was like, F that guy. He just kept saying, F that guy. He's like, I hate that guy. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> but did he lose a thousand or did he lose a million? He lost a million bucks. Yes. Oh, we're talking about opportunity costs. His opportunity was he could have walked oh, away. Smokes. Can you imagine that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that would not be good. Social proof comes from psychology where people assume the actions of others in attempt to reflect current behavior for a given situation. And I have comfort in crowds. And I have madness is rare in individuals, but in groups, parties, people of all ages, it's the rule. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. I can't tell you my blogs and things I read where they're getting a little more speculative in different things. And they're like, well, I've got to because everyone that's that's, it's well it's all anyone will talk to them about and whatever it normalizes it right Mm -hmm. it just that's the big thing is that like you know whereas it used to be unusual in in the value investing community i would say like among certain groups of people it was not unusual at all but people who mostly were focused on things that weren't speculative are now like well you know let me look for value type opportunities in SPACs and in you know um whatever other clean energy and yeah Mm mm-hmm Next thing I have, permutations and combinations comes from mathematics. And I had weighing the odds, decision trees, 
Then I have best bear bull case, etc. Yep, they use those. <laughs> they use, they use those go. things. You see that all the time with answer portrait. Inversion also comes from mathematics. Okay. Charlie Munger, all I want to know is where I'm going to die, so I'll never go there. He's also used the example of instead of asking how to fix India, he says, what's killing India and how do we avoid it? Right. I have avoid stupidity, avoid things in life that bring people down. Mm-hmm. And then I also had do reverse DCF, see what people are currently pricing it. Inversion. Yeah, I like inversion. I think that it's one of the best tools that you can use um, just because you can look at anything by flipping it one way to the other. So if you ask like, a simple way is like, okay, you know, what we said is like, um, you could say, what do I think the stock's going to do in the future? Okay. But you could also say, well, given today's price, what is that pricing in? So instead of having to do a DCF, ask like, what would that look like? What yeah. would that DCF look like? I or love anything? doing that. Yeah. So any because of if you find a situation where like, wow, they are literally pricing in zero growth, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And you think it's a great business or it's going to grow. That's where you could have massive moves in stocks, by the way. Yeah. And one of, the, of opinion. one of the easiest ones I find to help people is you compare what the return might be in the index by asking them, what do you think it'll be and stuff? Then like create an equation basically at the point at which it'd be equal for this stock. So like how bad does it have to be? So, you know, let's say the stock's paying a 3% dividend or something. Okay. And you think the market's going to return 9%. You don't think the multiple is going to increase or decrease or whatever. All right. So it has to be 6%. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now what has to happen for it to be worse than 6%. So instead of thinking of the, like, why do I want to buy the stock or whatever, let's disprove this stock case. And then as you try to do that, that may be the thing that actually gets you to buy it is as you try to like disprove the minimum hurdle it has to clear, then, you know, you will buy it instead of doing like you just mentioned before, the probabilities thing where you're like, well, and you pick different numbers than Mm -hmm. it might be. I mean, the best chess players think like what? 10 moves ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very much like inversion. If, this person does this, this mm-hmm. will happen. Stuff like that. Occam's razor. I have in quotes, the art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. And I put, even relates to people. Okay. The hypothesis with the fewest assumptions should be selected in absence of predictive ability. Yes. I can read my hand right in there. Um, simpler is better. Have a two hard pile. Munger and Buffett have talked about they don't know how to fix business problems, but they do know how to avoid them. It's a lot easier to avoid them than, than to fix. Look for the one-foot hurdles. The situation should be a no-brainer. I have people calculate too much and think too little. And then I have something from Buffett. Number one, is it knowable? And number two, is it important? If it isn't knowable, but it's important, forget about it. And then I had focus, invert. Simpler is better. Know the two to three variables to the outcome of the situation or what's going to drive the outcome and focus on that. I like that. Yeah, the famous science example of that is the question whether the earth revolves around the um, sun or the sun revolves around the earth. And for a long time, they was no difference in predictive ability. So with a bunch of different complex assumptions you could make from the ancient world on till you know, half a millennium ago or so, um, you could predict things. But it was getting to the point where you had to add a bunch of different things, a bunch of different adjustments into your calculations to be able to predict things about where the position of stuff would be. Whereas um, if you assumed that the Earth revolved around the sun, it was a lot easier. So um, I think that's 
generally not a bad idea. And I see that all the time with like data mining type things now. That's probably see with most of them where it's like this nine variable thing has the best predictions of it, which may be true, but there's usually a two variable one that gets you most of the way there. And I kind of have a little bit more belief in that one than the one that relies on nine different things working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Journaling, this comes from literature. This is something that I've been trying to improve myself. Okay. Writing something down allows for a more effective integration of learning. A powerful tool for thinking and journaling your thoughts. Yeah. So I've been starting to journal more. And I'm actually reading a book currently. Okay. This is totally different than the normal stuff. All right. But I listened to a podcast, part of my take, their sports podcast. All right. And they had Matthew McConaughey on okay. recently. Because he has a new book that just came out called Green Light. Okay. The book's fascinating. I was like, should I read it or should I listen to it? But as soon as I heard that he's the one reading it, I'm like, oh, I got to listen to it. All right. I'm like halfway through. It's fascinating. But he's been journaling since he was 14 years old. Oh, wow. And I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating <laughs> because I actually learned about a recent stat that 50% of what we remember uh-huh. actually did not happen. Okay. So yeah. I think journaling is a good way to just get all your thoughts on paper. And writing's very tough. You're a great writer, but you've been writing a lot and you've worked really hard to write, you know, become a good writer. Literally getting the thoughts from your brain and trying to communicate them on paper in a simple mm-hmm. form. It's one of the best forms of learning, I think. Yep. And there's uh, there's always something to do. It's a good book that's 100% based on the journals of Peter Kundal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. so I've been trying to write more just about little things like journaling my day. Funniest thing, I don't know if you've ever seen this episode, <laughs> Michael Scott in The Office. Okay. They're trying to prove that him and Jan right. weren't having or weren't in a relationship basically while they both work for the same <laughs> company. And Jan's like, Michael, they have no proof, just deny it. Mm-hmm. And so they get in the meeting, there it's like a deposition or whatever. The lawyers are asking back and forth. Long story short, the lawyer pulls out a journal. Yeah. And He's like, well, we're going to read from Michael Scott's journal. And Michael Scott, the whole time, he kept saying, where'd you get my diary? He kept calling it <laughs> yeah. a diary, which was the funny part, you know, because it's yeah. more like kid-like. And he kept yeah. calling it a diary, and they kept calling it a journal. Um, storytelling also comes from literature. Remembering a story is easier than remembering bits and pieces. Yeah, that's true. That, that that's what sort of how Buffett always tells these little parables and things, because it's much easier to kind of do that. Connect. We do that that's a lot on this mm-hmm. podcast, is that telling little stories and things are going to help you remember it. Again, can be sinister because you can like I could give you a lot of data or I could give you one good story and you'll probably remember the good story. And it could be an anecdote about like one person out of a million, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have active reading. So okay. read the book, how to read a book. And mm-hmm. it's this idea of collecting versus understanding. And you need to decipher what are you doing? So when you're reading the newspaper, you're probably going to read a little bit differently than when you read a 10K. Um, and I have deliberately connect and rethink what the author is trying to convey. And I have good readers are good thinkers. Yeah, I like marking up the books. We've talked about that. That's mm-hmm. my favorite thing to do. Connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. And yeah. remember, if you connect it to things going on in your life. Yes, that's what I find most useful. Yeah, And then you can reread a book and you'll find different things in it each time. Mm-hmm. Law of small numbers. This also comes from stats, and I have in quotes, I know a man syndrome. It's okay. a classic mistake of taking a specific instance and blindly generalizing it. Mm-hmm. Small sample size. Yeah. 
people believe a reasonable small number of observations will reflect the general population. Mm -hmm. A small sample size has no predictive value. We were talking in a recent podcast about how you like to smooth earnings and stuff like that, take an average of three years. You do like a margin analysis, Mm -hmm. right? The predictability of that, like the coefficient variation and stuff like that. Sure. Law of diminishing marginal utility comes from economics. Yes. As consumption goes up, the margin utility goes down. I have supply-demand relationship. um, And I have number of stocks in your portfolio. The risk goes down. So does the return. Mm -hmm. Sure. Game theory. Economics. Okay. What happens when individuals or groups of people interact with one another to achieve their goals? And then I have the prisoner's dilemma. Right. I wrote, you don't know what your partner will do. Mm-hmm. I have Coke and Pepsi. I have gas stations setting prices mm-hmm. next to each other. Right. Um, I don't know. I can't read the rest of my handwriting there. Matthew Effect, economics. Those who have more or have an advantage in acquiring more, odds are in their favor. And I said, like, the rich getting richer, famous get more famous. The, the Matthew effect in knowledge acquisition. Good readers improve at a faster pace. Poor readers improve slower. Yeah. Don't know how I could relate that to investing, but maybe money. The systems of two thinking. Hey, I did a YouTube video on this. Oh, yeah. The reflexive part of your brain mm-hmm. is two plus two equals four. Mm-hmm. You want to count that on your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. So I ask you, what's two plus two, Jeff? You say four. Four. Yeah. What if I said, what's 375 times 80? There you Don't go. you answer it. <laughs> there you you go. have to sit and think about it. Absolutely. And that's because our brain has two modes and biases live in the reflexive thinking. And I guess the evolution of this is imagine if you're walking through a rainforest and you hear a bunch of ruckus behind a bush, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of a scary growl. Yeah. You're not going to pull out your cell phone and say, what's this orange striped thing staring at me with massive teeth? Right. You're going to take off running. Um, and the way to save yourself from this is to A, know it exists, mm-hmm. and to invert, to think, to slow down, understand that stock prices move quicker than real businesses do, stuff like that. And let's see, we have one more, and this is called surfing a wave. And this comes from business. Okay. And the quote I have is, it's not the strongest of the species who survive, nor the most intelligent, it's the ones who are most receptive to change, right? Uh, and I had riding the wave, mm-hmm. avoid competitive destruction, horse and buggy. Okay. And the example I have is Jeff Bezos and how he started Amazon. Mm-hmm. He saw that internet usage was growing by 2,300% per year and thought, what kind of business plan might make sense in the context of that growth? And then also the cash register owner. That Munger has often talked about. Yeah, NCR, yeah. People kept stealing from him. And then, uh, you know, it was just a bad way for, like, accounting. And then somebody sold him a cash register, and it changed everything overnight. And he said, the hell with this business. I'm going to the cash register business. He yes. He surfed yep. away. Mm-hmm. Became very successful. That's yeah. all I got for you, Jeff. All right. Think about all that. That's good. That's a lot of uh, index cards, yeah. It's a lot of index cards that I keep in my backpack. Every now and then, I like to just kind of flip through them translate from the short-term memory to long-term memory 
This is the first podcast that we've done talking a bunch about mental models, but I hope everybody Yeah, you've done YouTube it. videos on them. I have. They're pretty popular, yeah. Yeah, I have. So I hope everyone enjoyed this. Mental models are great because, as you saw, we went over decision-making, literature, mathematics, mm -hmm. psychology, social sciences, business, economics. And there's a correlation a lot of times between the different subjects, which is kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously what Munger swears by um, learning. That's true, yeah. Otherwise, you'll be like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest yep. is what he usually says. See, back to telling like the story behind yeah. it, right? Painting that picture. And that's a weird visual too, which is even better for uh, salience for people remembering. That's, that is, if yeah. you take any memory class, that's what they say. Yeah. 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 So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself here today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much. We will see you in the next podcast. Take care.